What's up, Redemption? How you doing out there? John Hendricks here, as always, for a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. Welcome to number 46, baby. On this week's episode, we've got a returning guest, someone that hasn't been on for quite a while. We've got Chad France coming on the podcast, the new head man over at Land of Redemption, as announced from Gabe this past week. We're going to be talking about some recent news and content that has come out before getting into a deep dive on counter strategies and building counter decks within the game of redemption. So glad you're here and we'll get right into it. All right, guys, welcome back into a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. As always, John Hendricks here. And I am joined by someone that's been on the podcast once before, but it has been quite a while. So we are here with See the Tree, Mr. Chad himself. How you doing, Chad? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, John. Yes, sir. Glad to have you here. So in some out of the blue news this past week, um, not that this is the reason that we've got you on the podcast, but while you're here, we'll just say it. Gabe has transitioned ownership of Land of Redemption to you so you are now the heir to the land of redemption throne is that right that is correct yes big change so with that is there any change on the horizon for the site or is it just kind of going to still be what it what it's always been community driven content that type of thing yeah great question um that's the goal is to really keep it what it has been community driven content and have it be a hub for redemption content. So like we have your podcast featured, we have redemption with Jaden featured and some of Robin studio stuff. And so we want to continue to be a hub. And then, you know, I kind of, I want to invest a little bit more time into making sure that we have regular uh, content in terms of things like deck building content, just articles about the game content outside of that featured content. And so um, I'm going to be dedicating a little bit more time myself to writing content and then also to finding people to contribute content to Land of Redemption. So if you as a listener have something that you're wanting to contribute to the community in terms of uh, content related to the game, please contact me and uh, we'd be happy to feature it. Sweet. That's kind of awesome news to see that it's, even though the torch is passing, kind of the same vision is there. That's nice. We, we've seen that previously in the last calendar year with one of the retailers, your turn games changing from Derek Torado to Andy Fish and kind of the same vision and just expanding upon that. And it's kind of cool to see like some of these things take on maybe new ownership or new people that are quote unquote in charge, but still the the vision is there. And I don't know, it's, it's kind of cool to see. Oh, definitely. I agree with you. And I think it's, it's great how that has worked out and it shows the community is really active and, you know, you have a lot of people that have come into the game last few years that have gotten really invested. And so we have a really healthy community. And I'm thankful that Gabe thought of me to uh, handle ownership of Land of Redemption. And him and I definitely view the project from a very similar standpoint. And so he's done a great job overseeing it the past while. And I'm thankful to be able to just kind of continue that legacy. Good stuff. I guess we'll just kind of go into some recent news that we've got here, kind of what we've done on the podcast. We've got like the first section where we go over news and things, and then the back half where we have a conversation with the guests. So we'll do all that. But I would like to say that on the front of this, there is an article on Land of Redemption from Mr. Chad here. 
that is talking about a deck that he built that's kind of a counter deck and kind of the way that you come about um, building counter decks and things, uh, just expanding upon that is kind of what our conversation is going to be. So we won't touch on it too much here, but there is an article on Land of Redemption from Chad that is newly released. So we're recording this Monday night. It was just posted this evening. So make sure you guys go and check that out as well. So we'll throw a little plug there for Land of Redemption having new content. We have that. And then we've also got some of our regular content creators putting out content. We've got Rob M Studios on YouTube, and he's got a type two game with Julio of Wake Em Up Ministries there in New York. And this is going to be a game that is, uh, again, it's type two and it's featuring Rob's disciples and Pharisee Sadducee defense versus Julio's Genesis and blue offense with an animal defense. So I have not watched that par for the course. You know, guys, when I talk about these videos, I haven't watched them yet, so I can't give too much detail on them. But, you know, you don't see type two gameplay all that often. So make sure if you're into type two or you, you're curious about it, you go and check that out. And you can see that on Rob M Studios on YouTube. Also, we have Redemption with Jaden. He has Lackey Grand Prix round four versus Jonathan Gomez. They made a, I guess, a gentleman's agreement to play GOC only beforehand. So this is a sneak peek at GOC only in a competitive, you know, atmosphere from two really good players. I have not checked that one out either. Have you checked out either of these videos? Um, I am familiar with the redemption of Jaden one because I edited the article and kind of looked through his deck list. So yeah, he has a cool deck there. But aside from that, I didn't watch the whole video, just kind of the first intro part. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I knew that you, you had posted it on there, so I figured at least you had, you know, brushed up with it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, at, at some point, maybe life will slow down, and I'll actually talk about these videos after I've watched them and can go into detail about them. But, uh, <laughs> guys, let's be honest. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we do have Lackey Grand Prix number five that is finishing up, and we do have a top cut of the top four players from that Grand Prix. And those top four were John Early, Jonathan Gomez, Jaden Alstead, and Seth Moreland. And it was John and Jonathan paired up. And we know already that John has won. That cat is out of the bag. So John is awaiting the winner of Jaden and Seth to finish out the Lackey Grand Prix number five. In addition to that news about the Grand Prix, I also have some information about Lackey Grand Prix seasons, and I'm just going to tell you that I will give you some basic information about them, but if you're confused about it and how it is going to work, Jay did mention, he's the one that's heading up the Grand Prix, he mentioned that he was going to have some type of public release that would have more details or, or more thorough details. So if this confuses you, I'm just giving you the hype for it, and you figure out the details on the backside when Jay posts more details about it. But Lackey Grand Prix seasons are going to happen, and they are going to be blocks of three months of Lackey Grand Prix. So one season is going to be three months. The winner of, or the, the best player for that season, however that's determined, whether it's just straight by win, uh, total points added up, however they determine that 
the top player for each season is going to get a $25 Your Turn Games gift card. And then at the end of the year, the winners for all of the seasons are going to compete in uh, a Grand Prix Invitational amongst the players that have done well throughout the year. And the winner of that will get a $50 Your Turn Games gift card. So Lackey Grand Prix seasons are going to be happening, so you can still participate in the Lackey Grand Prix, but they are going to move away from just doing all Type 1 rotation to where it's not just that all the time, but you know, trying out other formats, giving life to those. And I think that's pretty cool to kind of break it up and allow people to play other formats because, you know, some are more casual than others and some people just want to try and they haven't tried. And I think that's pretty cool to just kind of dip your toe in the water and see see what you like and what you don't. So we've got that to look forward to. I know you're super excited about it, aren't you, Chad? So uh, from a personal standpoint, I'm really excited about the direction of it. It's a great thing to see, you know, this and the Zoom Discord Invitational Series doing so well, just having regular ways for people to compete. And it's very accessible with one game a week. Um, so yeah, I think it's great for the game, great for the community and, uh, Jay and Josh have done a great job facilitating that. Um, yeah, so I think it's awesome. Um, my personal involvement will be limited to rotation. I might talk about that a bit later to the rotation parts of the Lackey Grand Prix, but it, just having the availability is awesome. It's great. I saw that you had posted on discord about stepping over to the zoom discord invitational. So I was trying to set you up for a run to, to advertise for the next Zoom Discord Invitational. There we go. Yeah, you know, I think each of us have different, uh, I guess, time allotments for redemption, right? And so for me to really, when I'm when I'm deck building and stuff, I'm kind of all in with it. And so for me personally, I only really have time to focus on one format. So I just focus on rotation. Um, so it's nice because since we have so much available that we're going to see, you know, a classic Lackey Grand Prix and then a block format or GOC only. And so having the Zoom Discord, I'm able to hop over there and um, participate. So yeah, so I I'm going to be there. We've got a bunch of people competing in it. And so it would be great to have a giant Zoom Discord Invitational coming up. Um, and signups go through October 14th. So really excited for that and uh, looking forward to playing with physical cards again. That'll be fun. That's my biggest thing about Lackey. I have not been able to participate based on time, but I think that's that's pretty cool that you have both one that's in like using physical cards and one that doesn't. And it's probably a, a good thing if you want to, like if you're able to do both of those because – you lose so much not playing with the physical cards. And then when you actually play with the physical cards, I feel like it's, it almost feels like an extra dose of nostalgia when you, you mm. break out the cards and you're like, Oh yeah, this is how it feels to actually do it. Do the real thing. Every time you search, you go in, you have to physically shuffle that deck. And mm. I don't know. I just take real cards over fake cards every day of the week. Oh yeah, for sure. And then, you know, by token of that, the other nice thing about having the Lackey Grand Prix though, is if you don't have the cards in person, it gives a way to be able to experiment with new deck builds. Like actually for myself, I didn't invest in GOC until the combined boxes came out. Uh, it's a little bit cheaper to invest and I do a big purchase since I run a play group. And so I just now got GOC cards.
cards. So I haven't been able to really do the Zoom Discord Invitational series up till this point because I didn't really have the cards yet to do it. Um, so, you know, it's so nice having both because if you're in that situation where you don't have the cards, then you still have a weekly option where you can still play and compete. Um, so it's really nice. Yeah, definitely. And just a reminder that the Zoom Discord Invitational signups until 1014, this will be Series 7. So if you hear people referencing it, it's Series 7 of the Zoom Discord Invitational. And the Lackey Grand Prix is on number 5, wrapping that up, and already has plans for at least the 6th and 7th iteration of that. And then that gets you into probably where we were talking about the seasons for next year. So... Like for these two have not existed before last year or before this previous like tournament season or whatever. And now to know that they're you're on season uh, series seven and you've already got five Grand Prix done, two more planned, and then a full year's worth kind of earmarked. That's that's really cool to see just the variety and health of competition within the game. So definitely cool to have both of those. As far as in person tournaments. I know that some locals and districts are happening. And in addition to those sanctioned tournaments, there are a couple of big, you know, unsanctioned or more casual format tournaments that have, you know, been put on by the community. One of those is going to be the scroll around the block. This is something we've been talking about for the past few weeks, and it's getting closer and closer. So November 5th at Hope Christian Fellowship Church in Rochester, New York. There will be a scrolls only and block format tournament, which will be the first time that both of those are being played in a big capacity. So this will be cool to see and find out how it goes. But those categories will have play mats and custom card sleeves as prizes for the winners. And they will be paired with district level type one classic and sealed deck respectively. So if you want to go and just participate and things that do get you R and RS points, those are available there. But that's going to be a fun time. I wish it was a lot closer. And when I say a lot closer, I mean I wish it was like an hour away because <laughs> I would be there. Um, it's kind of hard to travel right now with the way work is, but I'm going to be there in spirit, believe me. But this is going to be hosted by Rob M. And if you're able to make it, guys, do yourself a favor and go hang out. Even if you don't play, I mean – hoping for a good turnout and having like a mini nationals vibe, just hanging out with other people that play the game is pretty cool. Like that's, that's almost the best part of any in-person tournament. Wouldn't you say? Oh yeah. hundred percent. And you know, that's the great thing about having in-person tournaments and in-person play groups is you get to build relationships with people. And uh, that's one of the best parts of being involved in redemption. And obviously we get that with the online community, but interacting in person is even better. So nothing can be in-person tournaments, nothing. That's the best. In addition to that tournament, there is another big one that is on the horizon that I have been talking about for what seems like forever at this point. But you guys, if you were at Nationals, you saw the belt. You've heard us talk about it. We talked about it a little bit last week with John in, in a little bit more detail. But Mr. Classic Tournament that's going to be happening in Knoxville, sometime more than likely early March of next year. And that's going to be at Chris's church in Knoxville. And it's going to be hosted by Jeremy and Jay Chambers. 
and I was told that Jeremy is the brains behind it and Jay's the mouthpiece. I don't know how true that is, but I did hear a little bird sing me a song about the fact that there may be an official date for this soon. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that. Um, but we've been talking about this for a while, and this is it's, it's going to be called Mr. Classic, but we know now that it's going to be using the scrolls-only format. So now scroll around the block where you're getting a first look at scrolls only and maybe some deck lists come out. I know that there was one shared by our friend Mark from New York. It was shared on the deck building channel on the discord and getting some feedback on that. But you might see some of these decks come out and that might help shape what scrolls only looks like when Mr. Classic happens in early 2023. So Mm. it's kind of cool to see that, there's going to be like a connecting layer to those and it's in two different parts of the country in an official tournament where they're hoping for decent turnout. So boom, if we can get people in New York and then people in Tennessee, that'd be nice to see because it, it shows where we've come from in just two years now, like when nationals had to be relocated to Maryland and there wasn't a great turnout and numbers were low for tournaments to where now we've got, online tournaments that are helping people, you know, feel more comfortable competing at tournaments and whatnot, getting used to tournaments. And now we have unofficial in-person tournaments that aren't even sanctioned that are hoping for big turnouts. I think the, the community's just continuing to, I guess, improve steadily in a, in a healthy way. And I think these are just an example of that. I'm really excited for Mr. Classic. How excited for you? For that, are you, Chad? You're going to come down, right? Oh, man. <laughs> I, I uh, look forward very much to enjoying it from the perspective of a fan. I'm sure we're going to see some players come out of the woodwork who are Redemption Legends participate in it. And it's going to be amazing to watch some of the very best in the game duke it out in a format that they all understand very well. Because the players that are in that are people that know the card base with the scrolls only card base. They know it really well. They know the interactions. It's going to be a blast. Um, I don't think I will be there personally in person, but I can't wait because I, I'm sure that we're going to get to watch it online. Like, don't you think? You know, as far as the Mr. Classic, I do believe there is plans to have streaming and. I hear they're actually going to be trying to get some really high-end, top-notch commentators for the game. So I don't really know what their budget is, but they did mention possibly a, a certain podcast host helping do commentary. So I would venture to say that we should have good audio and, and video set up for that. And obviously, at the, I believe that Jaden's coming down for that, so... You know, considering he's in it, so we should have his gear, my gear. We should be able to cover it and have a good, solid streaming setup. Excellent. I can't wait. It'll be a blast. With that out of the way, one more long-running announcement that's just kind of an ongoing thing because it's running almost concurrently with Mr. Classic because we want to announce this at Mr. Classic, but the Plus One Initiative, using the current state of the game, Uh, You can invest in the latest card set and have a competitive, viable deck. There's GOC only, LOC only, just different ways to have, you know, new players interact with the game before just having to jump all into the 
however you want to describe the competitive space at the top end of uh, type one. So I think right now is just a good time to capitalize on that and share the game with people for the first time, introduce them to the fact that we've got new starter decks that are coming down the way. We've got new card designs that look amazing and you can share that and get them excited about the future of the game to invest into it. You know, when they go to buy a deck, you can start talking to them about the future plans of the game, which wasn't always the case, you know, like a couple of years ago when COVID hit and it was like, well, tournaments are really slow. It's slow moving on the new set coming out and that type of thing. I think we're just in a lot better and more exciting space for you to share the game. So plus one initiative, share the game, play a game with someone, send a picture, get entered to win some cool prizes that we will be announcing soon. And it's as simple as that, guys. Share the game, play the game, get some prizes. All right, now comes the part where we all get excited because there's new stuff on the horizon. New stuff that we don't really know, we don't really understand, but we know it's happening. So let's start with this. The early church set, according to the Cactus Game Design, or actually, I'm sorry, it was on the Redemption Facebook page I saw this past week, that early church is being retired as a set, which means they will no longer make print runs of early church. And a lot of people started asking questions and and talking about it as far as how it correlates to another rotation or a future rotation um, in the game. And I think it's simply just, it's phased out. Everybody that wants the cards have access to the cards because it's been printed so much that now Cactus can not print that set and start investing in printing. And, you know, other items are just invest that into printing more of GOC, the latest set and things of that nature that are actually moving and, and selling to make the game profitable for Rob. So you've got that, but then you've got these two spoilers that were shared earlier today in the spoiler channel. First, first thought, when you look at these cards, Chad, how cool do these things look? Yeah, they look great. And one thing I was comparing actually when I saw them is I was wondering, for some reason, the art looked a little bit smaller to me compared to art on other redemption cards, but I think it's actually the same. It's just the border is a little bit wider. And the fact the border matches the brigade colors, really cool. The new card design is great. I think it's a good, very clean looking card design. So yeah, in terms of design, sharp, sharp looking. Yeah. When these came out at nationals, Philistines, I believe were red and now you're transitioning that to black, which makes it look cool. But I'm really digging on the other side. There's There was a Covenant with Death image shared. And I will say Covenant with Death, the name is blocked out, but we know the artwork. We know it, guys. We know it and we love it and we want it back. But it doesn't have a curse icon. And then it's got three colors. And one of those is the brown. One of those is like the pale green. And then the red that I'm guessing is coming from the Covenant icon. Um, which is the artifact icon for the game. It doesn't have an ability. It's got the verse, but it's a tricolor card. This thing looks fantastic. I mean, I just, I don't know what else you can say about it. Like that card without knowing the ability, the name or anything. If that was a real redemption card, I think that looks fantastic. 
what do you think, Chad? Oh yeah, it's it, it looks really good. And from a personal standpoint, just seeing that image, uh, when I first started actually learning how to play the game for real back in 2019 and or 2020 is what it was, and then deck building, the first decks I tried to build were Covenant with Death decks. And so I, I was reading John Early's write-up from Nationals, and I was trying to find different ways to build a Covenant with Death counter counter deck and it was a lot of fun um the decks weren't all that great but uh it was a blast because the meta had kind of moved on from that but this is an exciting card it looks amazing and also i'm sure it's some type of counter like it has to be some type of counter and that's what we need more of in the game so it's good on every level did you notice the icon down at the bottom yeah the little tree it's a tree but it's it's green. It's all green. There is no different color. It's all green. But the roots actually spell out the word roots. And I just feel like that's got to mean something, right? Like you don't have a little tree icon that spells out roots and it doesn't mean something. I couldn't even see that. You must have like laser eyes, dude. <laughs> no, you, you gotta. You just gotta. In the spoiler channel, I used my phone and I zoomed in, and you can see uh... it. I'm doing that right now, trying to see it. That's interesting. It's going to blur a little bit on this PDF that I've got of our outline, but mm. yeah, if you do it on your phone, you can you can really tell. You're the artwork guru in terms of finding artwork and stuff, so of course you would notice that. <laughs> hey man, I, I just I saw the icon. I was like, that looks kind of cool. Let's look at it closer and. So I don't know what the correlation is with Covenant with Death and Roots and a tree. Someone said that maybe this is a, you know, like the next set, even though we've already got Israel's Rebellion that's on the horizon. Maybe this is the set after or something just to kind of mm. just keep interest building. I was able to zoom in and I see it. Roots. Yeah, it's wow. pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the conversation is around the fact that Covenant with Death was originally a a curse and doesn't have the curse icon. It just has the artifact icon. And now I wonder if, I, I mean, I assume that the, the evil enhancement side di dictates that this is a curse, but there, there's not that random. Okay. Curse has a, a special icon, but covenants just have the same standard artifact icon. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing to consider. Our curse is that serpent icon done away with in the next block. Are we just going to having, you know, good enhancement cup is a covenant, evil enhancement cup is a curse. In some ways, that might be nice for the future of the game because it makes it simpler. It's one less thing to keep track of. Like when I'm teaching new players, they ask, well, why is one a cup? Why is one a snake? You know, so if they go that direction, I think it simplifies things. Yeah, I would really wonder what, uh, and maybe maybe Gabe can hook us up with this. I wonder what Noah the Righteous would look like with these new borders, because he's mm. rainbow or faith or, you know, something that's got all of the colors, like mm. how it would blend and show on the border. Anyway, I don't I don't want to sidetrack this entire episode on this, but Covenant with Death tease getting getting dropped right before we uh we recorded today uh this afternoon that's that's pretty exciting news and i am here for whatever this is i am i am here i am in line i have my camping meme 
that I shared with Gabe several times last year. Um, I have that. I'm ready to go. I'm here for it. Whatever it is. I guess we will get ready to transition into our main conversation here with Chad. But before we do that, I do have a word about our sponsors. Are you enjoying this episode of the podcast? If so, please consider supporting our sponsors by visiting their webpage at covenantgames.com. There you will find a ton of family-oriented gaming products, including but not limited to the Redemption Collectible Card Game. Add a threshing floor playmat to your cart today and represent your favorite podcast at your next tournament or casual meetup. All right, so we are here with Chad, and we are getting ready to start our conversation about counter strategies within the game of redemption. So let me let me first, uh, because if I have you on as opinionated as you have been about the current state of the game, it would be a travesty for our listeners out there for me not to ask you, before we jump into our main conversation, just to get your thoughts on current state of the game within the competitive sphere and how you see things and whether you think something needs to happen to balance things out. So what, what do you say to that loaded question? Sure. Um, happy to talk about that. So I think all the discussion that has happened has been important and good because we have people voicing different opinions, fielding different options, perspectives. It helps us to get to what's really going on and understand it better and also hear what people have been testing and what they've been experiencing with actual play is really good. And so in my opinion, in terms of the current state of the game, I think that from a year ago till now, the game is at a far better spot than it was. When we look at the changes that have been made within the last year, there have been more significant changes made within the last, let's say, year and a month or two of redemption than it happened in like the previous five. We have rotation that hit. We have the reserve rule that hit. We have the new rule about determining who goes first that hit. We have the rule about limiting ability activations to four per turn. Like that's huge. All those things happening From my perspective, redemption tends to be kind of a little bit slower moving with changes. And we've just had this bombardment of changes. And so you look at those things that have happened, the game has changed dramatically. Just rotation alone was something that was talked about for many years, and then it finally took place. And so with that in mind, we had all that happen. Really good things. Everyone got excited. And then we had probably the most broken speed engine that's ever been discovered, discovered by Jaden in the Widow combo. And even with the rule limiting four ability activations, it was still too much. And so that just, I think, left everyone with really bad taste in their mouth. No one likes that. It's not fun. There wasn't a really good way to counter it. The counter deck didn't have the advantage. And so... um. You know, it just, it, it left everyone really unhappy with, with that. And so we have all these changes and then it's just like this major letdown. And so with that in mind, I think that what we arrived at post-Widow Combo is everyone being alert to the potential for things that are broken. Because we just experienced that. We also had Love at First Sight before, which is part of what maybe led to rotation being implemented in the reserve rule. And so we've just been through all those things. And so 
with that in mind, I'm wanting to look at, okay, we had all that happen. Changes have been made, had some cards banned. Where are we at right now in terms of what's actually going on? I think that everyone would agree that territory class enhancements dictate the game and are a little bit too powerful, especially numerous as the stars and what it can enable. In the post-Widow meta, we have this card numerous as the stars, which is able to do so much more than any other tutor in the game. Uh, it, it just can't. The fact it can even tutor for more than one he- hero. No other tutor can do that outside battle. And so it is creating a meta that's dictated by that. Now, are those decks the best numerous decks? It's debatable, but there it limits the number of decks that are viable. And so then we have a discussion of, okay, well, and like you and on your podcast have been bringing forward, does something need to change with the game? And so we have a situation where we need to identify what needs to be done. And many ideas have been pitched by brilliant minds within the game on what should be done in the situation at hand. And I think I have maybe a bit of a different perspective. Um, it seems Jay Chambers probably has the closest perspective to kind of where I'm at on the current state of the game within the competitive sphere. I definitely think where we're at isn't completely healthy, but I think we're close to being healthy. And the reason I say that is I think the changes that have already happened in the game set it to a point that if you don't have some specific broken cards, we're going to see the game arrive at a very healthy spot. And so I've been calling and others have been calling for a ban of numerous of the stars. I think that would be great for the game. Um, That card is just in principle able to do so much more than everything else. And it sets up and makes broken strategies with Star of Bethlehem in terms of consistency. And so, but it's really the culprit because of how much it can tutor for and how consistent that is now with the abundance of star abilities of the game. And so I've been really trying to think through then what does the meta look like with no numerous as the stars? And I believe we arrive at a place where there's still some decks that have a lot of territory class enhancements. They play like a nativity deck and it would be trying to get a bunch of nativity heroes, do star of Bethlehem, draw um, with the new enunciation card and then all the already white territory class support. That deck is pretty aggressive. But one other thing I'm thinking about, which is what we'll get into today, is all it really takes is a couple well-designed counter cards to make that strategy less viable. And I believe that what I discovered in deck building is often the new salty card paired with some of the things, a strategy that gives a distinct edge against the territory class heavy deck. In fact, I think that the decks that I created win more times than that deck, even going second. And so that's just one card they created with Salty, the card design team, that shifts the meta. And so if we have more cards like that created and then have numerous gone, I believe we get to a place where we have balance within the game without significantly changing things. Um, And so that would be my kind of thought. But currently, which is the question, current state of the game, something does need to budge. Personally, I think it's banning numerous. I think that would really shift things to where you see more balance in the game. I guess that's a fair, a fair statement on it. A fair assessment. 
I really do because I I mean we just did at the podcast here review all of those rule changes, and I get what you're saying that because we had that broken interaction that shouldn't shouldn't have been there. It's not something that anyone wanted in the game, but it kind of doesn't give all of these changes room to breathe because we haven't really seen it for a tournament season that doesn't have a broken interaction. So I, I definitely get where you're coming from on that. I just know that from my my perspective and, and people that I talk to, it's like we don't want to change the game you know, to where it, it doesn't play like it does. But, man, if something comes out this year, that'll be like three years of just strong combo interaction that's based on territory class setup. And, you know, that's not really that's not really something I'm looking forward to. So I'm definitely digging the conversation that we're going to have here tonight about counter strategies and how you can try to, you know, use your own deck to prevent that from happening. Um, so let me ask you, when we talk about counter strategies within the game, before we get into anything else, how would you define a counter strategy or a counter deck within our game? Great question. So a counter deck is a deck that is built to respond to the major threat in the meta, okay, or threats. It's a deck that's built to be able to respond to those and neutralize those threats. But the other thing about a counter deck is it is one that tries to break parity with those strategies to where it doesn't just end up in an equal spot, but it gains the edge. And in some metas, that's not possible to achieve without kind of joining the prevalent strategy. I would say with Widow Combo, it was that way. I tried. I tried with my Moses and the cross decks. I tried to find a way to have a counter deck that would not only counter the Widow Combo, but break parity with it and gain a distinct edge. It, it wasn't happening. So what I actually came up with, which I ran in the Lackey Grand Prix around the same time Nationals was happening and ended up winning, was a Widow combo counter deck, which is really uh, kind of an oxymoron, but I was running Widow combo, but I found that Crowds Lost Soul and Distress Lost Soul countered a Widow combo deck. If I get those out early, if my opponent goes first, I've countered them. They're not able to combo right away. Distress neutralizes Widow, Crowds neutralizes Matthew. And so I built the whole deck with things like Crowds Choice to Harvest Time, Awake, Escape, Hunter to get to those Lost Souls. Because the issue was you had a mere meta with Widow combo decks playing each other where whoever went first won. But I had a way where I was able to counter my opponent if they went first, and then I would get to go and combo. And that deck worked brilliantly. It, it won that tournament. I was able to win against J.D. Cunningham, who had wrecked everyone with his Widow combo deck, and it worked. So for that meta, that was the only possible counter deck. But I had to also run Widow combo because I had to get set up then with a board state that would lock my opponent out completely, which I didn't want to do. I wanted to find a counter that didn't have to run Widow combo. But you needed that speed engine so that that one shot you had, once you blocked them off with those two lost souls with crowds and distressed, then I was able to combo off, get the board state I needed, hit their hand with high priest plot, have Babel out, and then I was good to go. Get Gam's speech out uh, as well. And so that was what happened there. Now, in other metas, you can have a counter deck that actually is running something unique. For example, John Early, when he ran the Covenant with Death counter deck in 2019, I believe that was, um, that deck was a response 
to the meta and he built his deck so that it worked well with Covenant with Death Up and he was able to counter the meta. Another one was Josh Potrat's uh, deck that he ran during the t- 2021 Nationals. He was able to counter LAFS and so he had more ways that a counter would arrive than we had reliably to interact with it. And so his deck was able to counter and it was strong enough in terms of blocking and rescuing that it was able to not just be equal, but succeed in winning the game. And it was strong enough that it could hold its own against other non, you know, LAFS decks. So that's what a counter deck is. It's a deck that's built to deal with the major threats in the meta. And I could say sometimes it uses those major threats, but also counters them like the deck I built this summer. So you mentioned knowing the biggest threat in the meta and what you are most likely to see in a competitive space or in a tournament setting. All of that comes from reading the meta is one of the terms that's used a lot, just knowing what you're going to see or what you're most likely to see. So how do you approach reading the meta and what information are you looking for and how do you gather that information? Yeah, great question. Um, That was something that I noticed. I, I tried to study the game a lot when I first got to actually learning how to play and then realizing I wanted to be competitive. And I noticed that the players that were winning nationals, they knew how to do that. They knew how to read the meta. Like John Early, he knew how to read the meta and he called it correctly. And that's why he won nationals back to back 2018 and 2019. And so I tried to notice what they did. And so I noticed a couple things. First of all, to read the meta, you need to know what is being played. So you have to be active. You have to be active in tournament play. You have to be uh, playing against top players. You can't just be playing against your local meta. Maybe your local meta is filled with top players, but it's if it's not, you need to be playing on Lackey. You need to be playing in things like the Lackey Grand Prix now, the Zoom Invitational, and seeing what top players are playing. And then also trying to engage in conversations with other top players about what they're seeing. And so you want to pick their brain and see what they're seeing in the meta, see what's going on, gather information. As you do that, then also, I found it's helpful to actually share your deck builds that you've built, test them out against people, but also share them and get people's thoughts. Because as you get feedback, you're getting to see how people are thinking about the game. And so gathering all that information, then paying attention to decks, people are posting just every time a deck hits the boards or hits the discord and you have an opportunity to read it and see how people are thinking, especially if it's from a top player, gleaning all that and then trying to distill it down and see, okay, well, what is winning? And that's another thing, looking at tournament results, seeing what decks are actually rising to the top, what's dominating, what's winning and understanding, okay, these are threats within the meta. And so it also takes being objective. I think one thing that's hard for a lot of redemption players that are trying to make the transition from casual to competitive is they have certain hobby horses, which are deck strategies or certain deck build that is their favorite. And so they default to that instead of realizing, okay, this is just bad in the meta. I see all these other decks winning. My deck doesn't actually interact well with that deck. I need to adjust. And so being realistic and going, okay, this is what's winning. These are the threats. How do I respond to that then in my deck build? 
So that's kind of how I approach it. Um, right now, it's easier to read the meta than ever before because we have things like the Lackey Grand Prix and we have the Zoom Invitational. We have your podcast. We have Land of Redemption active. We've got Redemption with Jaden. We have Tyler Talks. Jaden and Tyler are on there explaining things about the meta. You get to see through their content what is going on, what what two of the very best players in the game are thinking. So it's easier than ever, but that takes time. And it also takes a lot of deck building. And so that's the other thing, not just looking at what they did, but then taking what they did and doing it on your own and revising it and tinkering with it, trying to make it better and then discovering things on your own and being able to even get ahead of the meta and predict, okay, well, they did this. I see this is happening. Someone's going to discover this. Those are all things that help with reading the meta. So that's kind of the approach that I take to it. Um, I'm sure that some other competitive players do it a bit different, but that's my approach. Okay, sweet. So that's that's a pretty pretty open way of doing it. You interact and you share your information and you gather other people's information. That's being openly shared about the meta. So that's pretty cool. And it definitely kind of shows the direction that the community's been in for the last couple of years, at least. Because now there's a lot of those ideas being shared, like two years ago, Love at First Sight, or two seasons ago, Love at First Sight, and then the Widow combo coming out, and people having knowledge of that before it gets to Nationals is all because of the exchanging of ideas within the the game of Redemption. Mm. So nice to see that you can also use that information to build what, what would be considered fair fair-based decks and you're not just trying to exploit some combo that you found out about that somebody discovered but actually using that information to build a deck that's just countering on you know strong strategies within the the top level of competitive play so let me ask you when you you approach deck building how do you decide initially whether you're going to build a strong meta deck that's capitalizing on those top strategies at the moment within the the meta game or building a deck that counters it. And then also the the little bit that you added when you defined a counter strategy, you know, sometimes you might have to run, you know, the best strategy as part of your counter deck. So how do you how do you decide all of that from the information that you have, you know, gleaned from the meta? Hmm. Yeah, good question. So the first thing is I recommend building both. I try to build a deck that is utilizing some of the major threats, the things that are most prevalent in the meta, the top strategy. I try to build one deck that does that. And I generally will have like four or five different iterations of it, versions of it. Sometimes it's less, two to three. And then I build a counter as well. And I'm trying to find the counter. That's the hard part is finding one that actually works. So I'm trying to build a counter alongside that. And then in tournament play, I'm running both. In some games, I'm playing the aggressive strategy that is running the main threats. In other games, I'm running the counter. And I'm trying to, through that, and then I go back and tinker with them and refine them after those games, I'm trying to figure out which one is going to be best. But I recommend building both because then you also are adept at playing both of those different strategies. And at deck building, both of those different ways. And so I do both. And then once it comes to a big tournament, after I have gleaned data from things like the Lackey Grand Prix, from playing in my play group, from playing just casual Lackey games, then I'm going in and like, okay, this is what I found out. I've refined it. I think that the counter is superior here or the uh, general meta deck is better here or a blend of both. And 
settling on that, that has to come just from testing. And also another thing is, I think this is important to understand. To get to a point where you can make a call on which is best, you have to have a general way to perceive how the game works and how things are playing out. And that is only developed with a lot of deck building and a lot of play. Like, I think many players in the game don't have the ability to do that. And it's hard because you don't know exactly what to look for. How do you get there? Just building a ton of decks and playing a ton. That's the only way. It just comes through repetition. Um, but yeah, so for me, if I'm going to, I build both. I build both a deck using all the, whatever's the most powerful thing in the meta that everyone's responding to. And then I build a counter, test them both and determine, okay, which one has better odds? Which one gives me better odds with both going first and going second? That's something I really look at. I want to see, is this deck just a glass cannon where if it goes first, it dominates, but if it goes second, it falls apart. If that's the case and there is a reliable counter to it, then I'm going more with the counter strategy. So those are the types of things to weigh and think through. So let me ask you this, like a sidebar. Do you think it's a, a strong practice to, if you build a deck, so even if you're not trying to build a counter deck, you, you're just trying to build, maybe it's a, a slight combo deck, or it's just a really good deck that you think is good. Do you think it's a good practice to try to build a counter deck to that anyway, just so that you know what really hurts your deck? Because I feel like what I do a lot of times is I have this like, fake deck that sounds crazy but like a fake deck in lackey that is just all the heavy counters are you know the most popular ones golden calf babble the cross all of those are just in there and i can load those and like play against just throw throw down two or three counters and then put my deck against that just to see what what it would look like opening turn versus those um and i think that it helps me but do you think that's a, a viable thing? Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's definitely. And even if you don't have that deck as your gold fishing, just thinking through in your mind, okay, golden caps on the board right now. How is my deck performing against this? And thinking through that as you build it, you have to think through that because otherwise you end up with a deck that if it's in a, you know, vacuum, it's going to perform great. But when there's interaction, if it falls short and it has no way to recover, it falls apart. Um, for example, one deck that I ran last season was the Once Upon a Time in Zion deck. And that deck defied the odds. Now, I didn't get to use it against top, top competition. But what I realized was the final version I had, even if I ended up, there were counters on the board, because of the way the deck was built in terms of getting to David quick, him being able to get value, get a rescue in, also it being able to run Joshua with Conqueror, him being able to get rid of threats and having a lot of ways to get to him. That deck, even though it looked on the surface like a glass cannon, it was able to respond to counters pretty well. And it was able to survive and succeed. And it didn't run actually that many territory class cards. It just ran a ton of characters because it was going for a quick IJ. So I think you have to do that. So whether it's, I think what you're doing there, having a deck that has the counters in it and gets them quick is really good. Putting that in, in, in Lackey and testing it. But you have to think that through or you don't really have a full knowledge on how your deck's going to perform. Okay. Now back to the topic at hand here. You mentioned before how you gather all that information, how it's easier because there's so much more, you know, content being created by, you know, people within the community, which is great and it's fantastic. 
But I think the speed of the game has dramatically increased since I first started playing in 2019. I think that's fair to say, because as something comes out, then other people are on it quicker. You see more copy decks quicker, and then you see people move over to a new strategy as soon as it comes off. And, you know, things, I feel like things just progress a lot quicker than they did when I first started playing. So knowing that you're trying to come up with a counter strategy or counter deck, you're trying to zig when everyone else is going to zag. Mm -hmm. So how does the speed of that information, how does it assist you or hurt you when it comes to a counter deck strategy? Yeah, that's a a good thing to think through. And so looking at it, you're right. If you look at kind of you and I both got into the game at the same time, 2020 was when we actually really started playing and learning how to play. As I read articles on the forums and dig back to the way it used to be, there was sharing of information, but the people at the top definitely had an edge. They had a community where they'd share with each other. They knew what the best stuff was going into nationals, and they were able to figure out if a counter deck or going with the prevalent, you know, aggressive, whatever it is that was best in the meta was the best route to go with. And then they'd play it accordingly. If you weren't privy to those conversations, and this is just, I wasn't around there, but just reading up on it and talking to people that didn't quite reach that level before, you were the odd person out. And so you didn't really know, and you'd go to nationals, and you just kind of got to see what people come up with. Now, it's not that way as much. People know what's going on. And if you really pay attention to Jaden and Tyler and their channels, you're going to know what's going on in the meta. And you can, you know, put something together. And I think we understand the meta and what the meta is going to be after a new set comes out now faster than they used to because of that. And so, yeah, it's frustrating, though, because you'll get something put together that you think is really great and you'll play it a bit. People find out about it and then boom. It's already been communicated about and they found a way around it and they found some way to deal with it. That being said, I think that is a helpful thing and it's a good thing because at the end of the day, we understand the game better then and it allows the very best strategies to rise to the top. And so what it makes it hard though for is if you're wanting to find something and stick with it and be comfortable with something that's not going to work. You have to be willing to adjust, have to be willing to change, have to be willing to go, okay, this was good two days ago, but now it's not. And so I need to adjust my strategy. And so it hurts the fact that you can't really have something and hide on it as much and go and bombard everyone with it. People are going to discover things quicker. But to me, that's good because it helps us to get to a spot of really understanding the game and having to be creative and, then people will know what the best stuff is and finding ways to be uh, kind of creative and ingenious within that. Um, So yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, definitely. So I guess kind of last week we, I talked to uh, John a little bit and we, we touched on defense heavy and small offenses. And we talked about that video that um, Tyler put out on his channel on YouTube, Tyler talks, about having a you know a heavy defensive presence in a deck and then just trying to get your rescues after you've exhausted the opponent's resources and that's in and of itself in a nutshell that's a counter strategy to what the meta currently is because 
our game is a, you don't want to say that it's a race to five, but you are, you know, trying to be the first one to achieve five rescues in a game so that you win the game. So there is an end point that you're pushing towards. And so naturally speed to get to that point is one of the top strategies for an aggressive deck. And then a counter strategy would be to try to prevent that. And so defensive heavy is kind of a, just in a nutshell, a counter strategy. So when we talked about that, um, you know, and you can go watch that video uh, for Tyler on his channel. There's a different way that you play a deck when you're trying to do that or trying to, you know, respond to an opponent versus, you know, you're just, you know, pushing your deck strategy. So how does piloting a counter deck for you, how does it differ differ from playing a standard deck or playing that best in format deck that's just trying to get its win condition? Yeah, it's it's definitely different and also finding a way to have a counter deck that is able to not only counter, but then in our game, we have to get to five souls that can also manage to get to five souls and block. Because oftentimes when you have a counter deck, you're trying to get to your counters reliably, and that can actually take away the individual value of cards in the deck. Um, I, uh, in my recent article, I had this word that I found that I think is cool that explains what you're trying to do with the counter deck. And the word is sortie. And what that word means is it means coming out from a defensive position to make an attack. And that's exactly what you have to, how you have to approach a counter deck. You get your counters up, you're defensive, and then you're trying to rush the opponent and get an attack. I have learned that some of my approaches to counter decks early on, they were weak because I wasn't able, I got the counter up quick, but I wasn't able to then turn around and make the attack. The Moses decks I was playing last year had that issue. I would get Moses up, I get the cross up, um, I'd have a strong counter, but then that offense, it wasn't really strong enough to break through stuff. Moses, he's used to be really good, but fight by the numbers isn't what it once was. And so you get him out early and you don't have a strong turn one rescue. And so with a counter deck, you're trying to get your counters out, but then also have a way to be able to attack and get rescues. And so I say building the deck is different than a standard deck and it's harder because you're having to find a way to get your counters, also be able to rescue and also be able to block reliably. And the decks aren't generally as fast in terms of draw power and they don't run as many territory class enhancements, especially the ones that I include in this article. And so crafting that deck to work that way is really difficult and hard um, and takes a lot of time. And so you look at like, John Early's Covenant with Death deck, it took him a while to get that to the point because he was losing with it originally. He posted it on the forums and then he got some feedback and he figured out how to get it to that point to where it could go from the position of defense and make the attack. And I feel like Josh Potrat's deck did that brilliantly. It was, it was just enough to be able to do that. And generally it won't be the best at rescue and it won't have the strongest rescues in the game or blocks, but it has enough to get the counters and then win in that environment. Um, and so you also have to have a feel for when to make certain plays and, you know, also the deck needs to be able to hold the zone once the counter is dealt with. And so figuring out how to get the resources you need so that once the counter is dealt with, you're able to still push through and win. And so I'd say that that's kind of where a lot of the difference lies. Whereas with the standard deck, you're just establishing you know a board state where you've drawn most of your deck you have your resources 
and you're just going to cruise through it. It's, you know what your deck's doing, you play it really quick and it's just, it's different completely in that way. Okay. So you mentioned that not just piloting a deck, but actually building the deck is different. And Mm -hmm. so how much does it differ when you build a standard deck uh, or build a counter deck versus a standard deck? And then how much thought process goes into, for example, so a a hyper-aggressive speed deck that gets out there and throws babbling golden calf down. That's technically, those are counters, but you are not going to classify that deck as a counter deck most of the time, unless, you know, it's done from the mindset from the person that built it and piloted it, that it is using quote unquote, the meta relevant strategies to set up those counters. So how do you, how do you differ how much resource and, and card value within your deck you allocate to counter strategies versus just trying to maintain your ability to block and rescue like a standard deck? Yeah. And with that, it is a tricky balance because you have to build the deck so that it gets to your main counter reliably enough. And that's the other thing. I'd say a counter deck is one that has a game-changing counter included that you're getting to. So Covenant with Death was that way. Um, For Josh, it was just a litany of ways that shut down the LAFS deck. The deck that I ran this summer, it was really distressed in crowds. Those were game-changing counters that if they got down, it shut down the strategy of the decks that were out there. And so you have to have enough resources to where you, on your initial draw, are getting to those things um, reliably. And that comes down to calculation. Um, There's little things you can use. Like I have one that I bookmarked, and maybe we could share this with the when we uh, post the Threshing Floor article. But basically, you can enter in. Um, and get a percentage calculation if you're drawing eight cards of your odds of getting to, you know, your counter or whatever card you're going for based on the number of ways you include to it in the deck. So using tools like that to actually calculate your exact percentage chance. And then once you have that down, once you get it enough and making sure you're not going overkill either because you can't have too many. And then at that point, once you have that figured out, then in the counter deck, you're trying to craft the best defense and offense that work with that strategy. And that that takes a lot of time because generally you're allotting more to getting to the counter than the average deck would. And it's taking away, you know, rescue options, block options. And so you have to be very precise in how you craft the rest of it. Um, for example, the decks that I just posted, I had originally posted a while back two salty decks. The goal of the deck is to get to salty and distressed alongside it as fast as possible. That being said, most of the pieces to get there are within the Lost Soul package, within the Dominant package, and a couple star abilities. Beyond that, those decks were very balanced. I was able to run regular characters, neat characters that I wanted. The offense and the defense were strong in both decks that I posted, But I realized that there was something that made that strategy not optimal, and that is the Blind Lost Soul. The Blind Lost Soul negates anti-lost souls. It can negate Salty. And if the super speedy numerous deck runs blind and several ways to it, they have just as good a chance of getting a blind as I have getting a Salty. 
So for a minute, at that point, I thought the meta was hopeless. And I was like, there's no way to stop these decks. Like, literally, there's nothing that you can build. They can't Because the interaction has to be turn zero. Yeah, if you get golden cap up and you go first, you're good. But basically, if they go first, you've lost. If you don't have a way to interact, turn zero with it. And so I did a whole survey. I looked at every dominant in the game, every lost soul in the game, and every star ability in the game. It took me hours. And I went through and looked for every single possible way to interact with the territory class heavy numerous deck turn zero. And the article I included has all the ways that I found. And then I tried to distill down which are the best. I still felt Salty was one of the best, even with Blind. And then I realized the other one is Three Nails. And so these new decks include ways without Territory Class Enhancements to get to Salty and to get to Three Nails very reliably. Basically, if they do deal with Salty, they get set up, then I Three Nails them. And that created, though, a build that's very restrictive. Because to run three nails, you have to run only meek heroes. Finding an offense that only runs meek heroes that is really strong and balanced is quite difficult. And so I think I finally found it because the premise of the first two decks was having heroes that create their own rescue potential. And I found a good number of those and I was able to find all the ones that are meek and basically creating their own rescue potential. They're either grabbing a battle winner or something like Simon Peter to Herod's Temple to create their own rescue potential. And those are perfect in a deck that doesn't draw a lot because your character value is strong. And so the deck I came up with has that. I actually think the offense I ended up with is maybe better than the ones I had in the first two decks I posted. All the characters work well together, and they all basically, except for one, convert to meek. And so you're ready for a turn two. Uh, two Volcane is the main engine I'm using to get to three nails on a block. But yeah, with that in mind, it's very difficult because, especially with that deck, I've got a lot of slots allotted to getting to Nails and then getting to Salty. And you, you just have to then get that, get the consistency down, and then find the best way to rescue and block within that deck that has so many ways to the counter. Okay, that all, that all makes perfect sense. So you mentioned that you had the two Salty deck list that you shared earlier uh, i guess we'll call this this tournament season and you've got the one that you just posted your article about last year i know you were messing around with covenant of eden or mm -hmm. uh, whatnot at one point back when we thought we could throw it on ark of salvation and, and just have it ride and then there was also your moses and the cross so what are some examples of other counter decks you've built that maybe we we aren't aware of or that other ones that you've seen in the game that have really impressed you? So um, other ones that I built is I did build a ton of Covenant with Death decks back during the classic meta. And that was really where I cut my teeth on the uh, whole idea of it. Um, outside of the ones that you just mentioned, and I actually just posted two in that article. It wasn't just one. I haven't built too many others right now because I think it's actually limited. You have to interact turn zero with the numerous decks. You can't rely on, you know, cards that you have to set up on your turn. But some other things I've seen. So uh, the Rossetti deck 
was inspirational. And I took from that and paired it with my salty deck. Basically, my salty decks that I just posted are a melding of the principles of Rossetti along with salty. And so it takes both of those and combines them together. And so Jared Strauss, he'd worked hard on the Rossetti deck and did a lot of good work. Jay Chambers had too. And that was a deck that it was really good in the former meta with Widow, but it just didn't quite have enough. Um, I actually believe Salty is what it needs. Having three nails and Salty together is really a dream combo. And the other key thing is, I think one of the problems with that deck was it relied on territory class enhancements to get to three nails. So if the opponent with the super fast deck goes first and gets a golden cap up, you pretty much have to rely on a manual three nails activation. That's why I believe the Tubal Cane route to three nails is so important because Deceiver, Amalekite Slave, uh, something like Darkness Lost Soul or Damascus all provide ways to three nails then. And if they get counters up, you're still being able to get to it. But yeah, that deck, the Rossetti deck, was a really good one. Um, beyond that, I think that there are some counter decks that are possible that do things like Zacchaeus and I think it's Elizabeth. No, Zacchaeus, yeah, and Elizabeth to like negate all their enhancements and. You know, you could have a deck going for that, which I've I've explored that a little bit, um, just going straight for Zacchaeus and Elizabeth. But the issue is, once again, I have to go first for that to actually be effective. If my opponent goes first and uses their super fast deck, I'm toast. So um, I think that that's a possibility within the meta that really just requires a couple characters to set up, but it's just not consistent enough. I actually think Moses is still a possibility, but... You need to go first to get him live for him to really work. And the other deck is so consistent with getting its stuff set up that if you don't go first with that Moses deck, you're toast. So, yeah, those, I guess that would be, there may be others, but that's what I've seen. And I, I think Salty and Rossetti melded together is what makes the one that has the best shot. That definitely does sound like an interesting collision of those worlds as far as counter strategies within a deck because I think what Rossetti did well last year because I ended up running it at Nationals too was especially after Peace came out with the the fact that you could band with Peace Um, and I know that that's not as strong now even though you can still do it because they haven't done anything to Peace but it not being regardless of Protect means that you're struggling to get over things like King of Tyrus and things of that nature but having those strategies there within a deck that also can reset when you get behind but also having i felt like above average rescue potential last year um with peace so i really liked that and i ended up playing it at nationals but what i really liked the way that i built the deck was i had several ways to let them go do whatever they're doing on their first turn i didn't care about going first or second and then planning on drawing enough with like herdsmen and ways to herdsmen to have that manual or that opportunity at a manual activation of three nails to where then it's just deciding whether or not I'm so far behind that I need to reset or maybe they've burned enough resources to where boom. And I know that I'll be able to reset uh, or reestablish my presence after a reset. And then I started watching one of Jaden's videos. Um, I believe it was, lackey grand prix round two against jared to where he's using the highwayman Mm -hmm. and the fact that it draws and i was just like yeah that 
that's something that you could do too. Like in in a counter strategy, you could use thieves and the fact that the highwayman with the potential to bring him in off of a band. So you're not just limited to what he's doing and carry that on and get other abilities in there. But then the draw, just a massive draw on defense, I think is really cool if you were to put that into a counter strategy deck. Mm. And then that allows you to potentially have a little bit better rescue on the other side to where you're, you're still able to do a lot of things without having to go heavy on the territory class enhancements and rely on that because, you know, that obviously, like you said, opens you up to a Moses or a golden calf, all kinds of counters that stop your territory class. Maybe they're running salty. Who knows? Yeah. But, you know, like just having that defensive presence that can draw. And I remember when I first got into the game, it was like messenger of Satan was everywhere. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to draw and then I'm going to do this. And damsel with a spirit of divination or, you know, later changed to the divining damsel. Those were all over the place. And then they kind of went away because you didn't have to draw on defense. You just, you could do enough on like in your prep phase with your offense and whatnot that you didn't have to draw defensively. And I think having defenses that draw well to where you don't have to force a lot of the hyper-aggressive offenses just to be able to carry on defensive strategies really makes defensive heavy decks a lot more viable now than they were, say, you know, two years ago. Mm. Because you have the Highwayman, you've got LOC provided us with the Herdsman, and imagine if you were to go herdsman, so they have they they come out they set up huge, and you were to go, let's just say, the highwayman, you're able to use the thief to go to the highwayman, or maybe you use deceiver to go to highwayman, and you draw a bunch based on what they have in territory. They've got their meat Noah down, so you're drawing, and then maybe they didn't have that much down. You only drew four. But you can have a card like Lurking or something that allows you to band in and also bring in Herdsmen. Mm. Like you, you could you could pair those up, and I feel like defensive strategies that involve drawing heavy with avoiding the territory class back and forth, I think is a viable strategy in my own mind. I have not fleshed it out, tested it, or anything, but I feel like in the mental space of my own mind that that's got to be viable because I see. The same way that we're talking about counter strategies versus, you know, the hyper-aggressive or regular deck that's just trying to achieve its win condition, I feel like there's also this, this battle within, like, territory class to where, like you said, you've got to know when you've put enough counter down to now, okay, you've just got to be able to make your rescue. You've got to be able to attack. You come out in that defensive position, you attack. It's similar to, I like fishing, I'll use a fishing you know, analogy kind of backing a trailer in, backing the boat in, you know, mm. if you're at the boat dock and you're, you're overcorrecting left and right at a certain point, you just got to get under it. And that, that's mm. a phrase that people just get under it. That means just drive the stupid thing backwards, quit turning side to side, just get back. Mm. And at a certain point, I feel like there's a lot of stuff going around in the territory class area that people are trying to get this, oppressive board state set up and then the battle phase happens and it's like at a certain point you got to get under that thing you've got to get in the battle phase and know what you're doing and have resources there but decks are decks are starting to be built 
Um, maybe not at the very top level, but like in that mid-level range. So, you know, like the up-and-coming players, the players that are, you know, new to the game within the last couple of years, it seems like territory class is taking all of their focus. And then when they get into battle, they don't know how to respond in battle. And it's oh, like, yeah. it's like that's one of the, the strongest parts of Jaden's game is that nothing rattles him. He gets into battle, and he can navigate a battle phase really well. Mm. And I think, like... At a certain point, redemption is going to make a shift to where we keep talking about pushing interaction back to the battle phase. I think to where the best players are going to be the ones that can navigate that battle phase. Mm. Mm. So that's just a couple of observations I have. Like I think defensive heavy decks are defensive minded decks that draw really well are going to, I feel like they're, they're viable right now. And then I think that a deck that, like when you first mentioned Salty, uh, when you first released that deck, it was like, okay, I'm focusing more on the battle phase without the territory class because that gives you more resources in battle. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a deck that does that, that's ready to respond in battle to various different things and can navigate the minefield of what the opponent does in territory class, I think that's a viable strategy. Uh, definitely. And it's interesting because looking at counter decks, a D heavy deck, I wouldn't necessarily consider by virtue a counter deck, but in reality, it does kind of counter the meta and it actually counters the counter deck. So in the recent Grand Prix, um, I played four rounds, obviously one, two, lost two. The two decks I lost, one was two, just a plain balanced deck that Jeremy Chambers ran. Uh, he won five, four. And then the other game I lost was to uh, Seth Moreland, and he is now out of the Lackey Grand Prix, so I feel safe talking about it. Um, wait, I don't know if I should have mentioned that. Wait, wait, oh. wait. So Jaden is in the final against Jaden. Jaden defeated uh, Seth 5-1. It was posted on the Discord there. So I think it's public knowledge. It's safe. Okay, yeah. sweet. So with that in mind, Seth ran a 100-card deck. 100 cards. Big defense, fat defense, pretty big offense. And it's interesting because his offense, it was kind of running on the same premise of what my current counter decks are of having characters that create their own rescue potential. And I think that's what you're getting at with the battle phase is having characters in the deck that are good in battle and good at rescuing. And so he did that with this deck. The deck also was super fast, ran the first combo, ran um, Star of Bethlehem, ran like couple four Drock McCoy, thing draws like crazy. And I had the edge. I was I was winning that game because Salty actually did hurt him. But then he had a burial block that just set me back. But that's the thing about that deck. He was able to run so many dominance. And Jeremy's deck too, he ran all battle-winning dominance. And both those decks had tons of battle-winning dominance. And so when you run a balanced D-heavy deck like that right now in the meta, um, the counter deck like mine, because I'm running the counters, it doesn't have as much value in terms of battle-winning dominance and things along those lines. So Jeremy and Seth beat me with those decks. And I actually think that there's D heavy decks out there. I personally think the better one will be more balanced, like what Jeremy did. And also Seth's is balanced too. Like the little offense thing, I don't think we're quite to the point. I think it's, it can win, but I think the more balanced deck that has a substantial defense, substantial offense that both are good at creating their own rescue and blocking potential is a really viable thing. And uh, it obviously worked for Seth running a hundred card deck, which is 
brilliant and very hard to build, but he built it well. And so, yeah, I think that we are at that point where that can be viable. And so I really think we have three things that are viable in the metal currently. Um, we have this super speedy, numerous territory class deck. The best ones are Lockdown and Circus. Circus is the hand control package. Lockdown is, uh, well, we'll see. I'm sure, actually, people saw it firsthand in a game and live stream uh, that John Early's been running and really good deck there. Using numerous in Nativity, Star of Bethlehem, draw through most of your deck, get counters, and then we have numerous Circus, which does numerous and then hand control elements. Those are there. Then we have the counter deck, which I think is salty and three nails melded together with a offense that creates its own rescue potential. Um, the offense in the decks I posted, those characters all create their own rescue potential. And I have some created little rescues with like Simon and Herod's Temple shenanigans and also uh, Simon and Spirit as a dove, which is something that I noticed that I'm not sure anyone else has noticed yet. Basically, you use Simon, choose the blocker, and you choose someone big enough to where after playing Spirit as a Dove, Simon has initiative, and then you grab whatever battle winner you want from Decker Reserve with Spirit as a Dove, play it, can't be negated, and choose the block with can't be negated is excellent. I think we've all viewed Spirit as a Dove as a consistency tool, not as a battle tool, but in battle with Simon, that is super strong. Getting your great commission, getting your untouchable, even your loved one another for regardless of protect can't be negated off spirit as a dove on a fatty like you can you can choose red dragon with simon and then go and get you know great commission or love one another and it's can't be negated off spirit as a dove so that's a that's a really solid play it, it i just i was basically because of the restricted build in fact one of the decks is unity babylonians to run darkness to bad merchants so i was trying to find you know creative rescues. And that's another thing. I think you're right. You mentioned newer players not really being adept at the battle phase. And I think it's so true. The battle phase is what dictates redemption. That's where you win the game. You have to rescue. You have to block to win the game. And we're seeing a lack of creativity in that. People like Jaden, he's genius with the battle phase. You're right. He finds things that are really good in there. And so that's something we need to push ourselves to do. And I think to actually have a good counter deck or even a balanced deck, you have to find creative new ways to rescue. Like Peace, you brought up Peace. That's definitely a creative way to rescue that Jared found and pioneered. And he found this loop, this thing in the rules to where that would work. And so we need those things in these decks to be able to get the edge against the super fast deck. Um, and if you get that stuff, then you have this deck that is balanced or that's a counter deck, but also has really strong rescues, really strong blocks. And you're at a point where your deck can definitely hold its own in the battle phase. So yeah, uh, the counter deck with that salty three nails, really strong offensive package, really strong defense. Um, the second one I built has the better defense. I cut darkness and bad merchants and just went with the Herod defense, which I think is one of the finest defenses in the meta. J uh, Jaden also said that he thinks it might be top and one of his redemption with Jaden articles it's really good herods are super strong and then the third so you have hyper numerous nativity you have the counter deck with i'd say the best one is salty and nails combined and then you have the balance deck that has a really strong defense runs a bunch of battle winning dominance whether that's a hundred card version like seth or a 50 card version like jeremy that type of deck I think is viable here. And maybe that is the one that's the best. I don't know. We're going to have to see and explore in the coming months. 
which one of these three strategies is the best. I thought for a bit that it was the three nails and salty counter deck, but then I lost two games to the the balance deck that uh, Jeremy ran and Seth ran. But I beat John Early and Josh Potrats running the hyper speedy numerous nativity deck, who are, you know, two of the, I'd say, top five players in the game, John Early and Josh Potrats. So I beat them, but then I lost to Jeremy and Seth running these balance decks. So I don't know, maybe the balance deck is the way to go, but that's the thing. I think we have a fun meta to explore. There's actually a lot to find out and see what is best right now. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I will say that I know that it might not be as viable with our game, but you, you almost kind of, you know, want a meta that's got that bit of, Okay, I can play this, but I can beat that. So you you played the counter deck and was good against the, you know, salty counter deck is good against the hyper aggressive, but loses to balance to where it's almost that a lot of times people talk about rock, paper, scissors meta. And you don't want you don't want that to be entirely there and, you know, disregard the skill player of the person piloting the deck. But that's nice to see that there's potential for that type of meta after the meta that we've had the last few years. A hundred percent. I think we are there because this recent Grand Prix revealed that, I think, in terms of the way it played out. And Jay Chambers actually has been beating that drum, the rock, paper, scissors meta. That's what he sees happening. And I think he has validity to that. And you do as well in mentioning that type of meta. And it is, it's fun because then like right now, after losing and getting knocked out by Seth out of the Grand Prix, I'm like, okay, how can I get these counter decks Obviously, I've got the number of the numerous nativity deck with my counter deck, but how can I get this to where I get the edge against the balance deck? And the crazy thing is I was close, both the game against Seth and against Jeremy. I was close to being able to win those games. I just need to, and part of it was play. Um, The game against Jeremy, I had one play that if I played a different, I maybe, I think I could have won. Against Seth, I couldn't find that play. And so that's the thing. I need to figure out what I need to tinker with my deck. But that's fun. That's where the game gets fun, where you're like, okay, I'm doing well with this. How can I get to this point now where I've got the deck that's superior against just about everything? I've got the edge. And that's a really fun meta. So, yeah, I still think Numerous as a Stars needs to be banned. But with that, I think we still will have the Territory Class Heavy deck, the Counter deck, and then the Balance deck. And the cool thing about that is each of those styles, those types of decks that fit under that, there's several options and ones that I think haven't even been discovered yet within each of those categories. Yeah, that's definitely cool. And something to look forward to is that rounds out in shapes with, you know, people developing their own strategies further, or maybe you take that counter deck and you pull away from, you know, being mostly about the counter and kind of pull it more towards a balanced deck and, Maybe it shrinks a lot of a lot of the hyper aggressive over time, you know, pulls back towards balance. And that's that's probably not the worst thing, because as you come into balance games, the games don't play out hyper um, consistent. Like when you sit down and someone goes off turn one, they go off and their turn their turn one go off potential. If they go first is like 80 plus percent with a balance deck. Okay. You, you may still quote unquote go off, but it may be that you have a good blocker and a good rescue option in your hand in your opening turn and maybe a counter that you set down for the opponent. Like that's a good balanced hand. 
but mm. balanced hands aren't as good when you've got those hyper aggressive strategies that you have to then keep up with and whatnot. So, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how it progresses through this tournament season and seeing how, you know, now that we've got more room for all of those rule changes that have happened in the last year, have room for them to breathe without that broken interaction that we had last year or last season. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the meta development mm. over the next several months. For sure. I, I agree. And it's interesting because I think that, you know, you look at it and even like in this podcast, one thing I realized is you brought up draw on defense and pairing that with three nil strategy. I'm thinking through a deck right now. So obviously the slot that I've been using for that thing that allows me to catch up with defense is the two bull cane to three nails block. But what if I run both? What if I have a defense that's running two bull cane and then a black base defense that has herdsman of Garar and I can pivot and do either one, you know, or maybe Highwayman is the better way because he can't be prevented. So the one weakness of two bull cane is if the opponent you know, goes in with a fight by the numbers character, he's not going to work. Well, Highwayman can't be negated. So if I'm running Highwayman, Tubal Kane, then I increase my odds of the manual nails draw with uh, uh, Highwayman. And so, and I also have Tubal Kane. So something like that. And that's the thing. And I, I, that connection just happened because of you mentioning that in this podcast. So there's a lot to explore and figure out and just refine and, it's going to be fun for sure. Yeah. The reason that I built mine to use herdsmen to be able to do it on the next turn was I was worried about having the meek unity. So if they go off turn one and I do have that way to two ball cane, but I don't have the hero down for the unity, then I'm kind of just, you know, like I'm pigeonholed into, okay, well you get to do it this turn. And then I'm looking at a potential manual activation of it next turn. So I just decided to not do the two ball cane route and draw um, on defense so that I then had the resources for that manual activation on my turn. Because there's nothing that can stop you from activating your artifact. No counter in the game that says you can't activate an artifact. So as long as you, you get at least two meek heroes so you don't put one down and they Christian martyr it just two meek heroes or two potentially meek heroes and a big draw on defense is going to put you in the right spot to be able to get to a three nails activation. So, but I also think it's going to be fun as hopefully a few more counters come out that continue to balance the game. I know that uh, you did mention that you had talked to Tyler and some of the things he told you coming out with the next set and whatnot. And, you know, I've I've heard some things that might be coming out, certain strategies in the next set or whatnot, and I'm excited for that. But as we get more counters to where you're not so pigeonholed into the one to be able to answer, I think that'll be cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did get to see a little sneak peek of some of what the card design team has ahead of us. And... I can just say it affirmed my confidence that they're aware of what's going on and they are trying to design the next sets to be able to help us to not have turbo territory class strategy being as powerful as it's been. Um, I can't, of course, give any details on what 
certain cards or card or a or a card do but it was exciting to say the least and so yeah it's so good having a him with card design because he's so plugged in and involved in terms of deck building and understanding the meta that I feel that when he's designing cards, he has just incredible perspective that goes into the design there. Definitely a lot to be looking forward to with the game and the game state and whether any rules change, I do think that the meta is at least rounding out to be a more healthy meta overall with decks able to actually breathe and progress over the the meta developing as the season moves forward versus, oh, I played that for a game or two and now I'm scrapping that because I've got to play the best deck or I'm behind already. So hopefully, you know, as that, if that balanced deck is able to live and, and, and be a strong component within the meta, I think that's healthy for us moving forward. So I'm looking forward to that with that. I think we'll get ready to wrap up here on this conversation, but is there anything you want to say to the beautiful people out there before we wrap up, Chad? Um, I just want to say get out and deck build uh, and try to create your own decks. Uh, try to find new ideas, new, try and find new rescue ideas. Like that's a really satisfying feeling. Like when I discovered that the idea was spirit as a dove, choose a block with a Simon, someone big enough that spirit as a dove, you would play it and you still have initiative and then get to play, you know, one of your best battle winners and it's can't be negated super strong finding something like that is really satisfying and cool and so i think the best thing for the game is having people that are very active in building decks looking at the card pool trying to find new things and also trying to find solutions to be able to interact with the best strategies in the game and it's a lot of fun to do and it also uh, helps you to maybe have a chance to get out there and find something no one else has found and go out and win a tournament or two. And so I just, I, my, I, that's something I have a major call for in the community. We have a lot of people that have been frustrated with things in terms of where the game is at. And understandably so it's had its rough season with some of the broken things, but I think we're really at a point now where people need to get out there. We have a new set. That's an amazing set in gospel of Christ. Get out there, deck build, look at the card pool, find new ways, find creative ways to win battles and, uh, that that would be kind of my my uh, exhortation of the community. Well, it's a good one. Get out there and play the game. You know, yeah. <laughs> don't just Pretty listen. Much. Don't just listen to the game here. Go out and play the game. You know, get yeah. your cards, physical cards. You can play with on the Zoom Discord Invitational Series Seven that's starting up. Lackey Grand Prix having a Mister Classic Invitational using the classic format. If you want to use classic cards. Lots of options for you to actually deck build and play the game. We just got to take advantage of them as a community. Definitely. I want to see more decks posted on Discord and on the forums uh, and uh, see people, decks that they've ran and that they've experienced with. And the more we have of that, the better. And uh, yeah, hope to see as many people as possible in the Zoom Discord Invitational. Um, wanting a big tournament. Maybe we'll get to the point that Rob M has to do top cut in that tournament. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be fun. Semi-live top cut. I mean, yeah. I, I say live because it's live streaming, so you don't get to like watch it intently. But, you know, all the components of being live are there. That'd be really awesome. It would. So get out there, play the game. With that, Chad and I leave you here on this episode of Threshing Floor. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.
All right, guys, that's going to do it for episode 46 of The Threshing Floor. As always, I want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening to the podcast. I want to thank Chad for coming on and spending some time recording with me. And hopefully you guys got some good information out of this as far as counter strategies within the game and how to play something that is not just the hyper-aggressive decks at the top of the meta, but maybe coming at it from a different angle. So hopefully you took something from this podcast. I want to remind you to sign up for the Zoom Discord Invitational. Make sure you tune in to see how Lackey Grand Prix 5 finishes up with John Early versus his brother-in-law, Jaden Alstead. So make sure you check that out and keep up with the Plus One Initiative. We're going to announce those prizes soon. Make sure that you put your name in the hat. And we'll talk to you beautiful people next week. Peace. Peace.